0: Alright, so here's like a brief explanation of cognitive psychology. Cognitive psychology is the branch of psychology concerned with the specific study of the mind. The mind creates and controls mental capacities such as perception, attention, and memory, and creates representations of the world that enable us to function. Uh, The works of Donder's Simple versus Choice Reaction Time and Uh, ambiguous uh, the forgetting curve for nonsense syllables are examples of early experimental research on the mind. Because the operation of the mind cannot be observed directly, its operation must be inferred from what we can measure, such as behavior or physiological responding. This is one of the basic principles of cognitive psychology. The first laboratory of scientific psychology founded by Wundt in 1879, was concerned largely with studying the mind. Structuralism was the dominant theoretical approach of the laboratory, and analytic introspection was one of the major methods used to collect data. William James in the United States used observations of his own mind as the basis of his textbook, Principles of Psychology. In the first decades of the 20th century, John Watson found behaviorism, partly in reaction to structuralism and the method of analytic introspection. His procedures were based on classical conditioning. Behaviorism's central tenet was that psychology was properly studied by measuring observable uh, Behavior, and in that invisible mental processes were not valid topics for the study of psychology. Beginning in the 1930s and 1940s, B.F. Skinner's work on operant conditioning ensured that behaviorism would be the dominant force in psychology through the 1950s. Edward Tolman called himself a behaviorist but studied cognitive processes that were out of the mainstream of behaviorism. The Cognitive Revolution involved the paradigm shift in how scientists thought about psychology, and specifically in the mind. In the 1950s, a number of events occurred that led to what has been called the Cognitive Revolution, a decline in the influence of behaviorism, and a reemergence of the study of the mind. These events include the following Chomsky's critique of Skinner's book, Verbal Behavior, the introduction of the digital computer and the idea that the mind processes information in stages like a computer, Cherry's attention experiments, and Bombard's introduction of flow diagrams to depict the processes involved in attention, and interdisciplinary conferences at Dartmouth and the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. Events after the shift in psychology that made studying the mind acceptable. Our understanding of the mind was limited. As indicated by the contents of Neisser in 1967's book, Notable developments in cognitive psychology in the decades followed Nietzsche's book were 1. Development of more sophisticated models. 2. Research focusing on the physiological basis of cognition. 3. Concerns with cognition in the real world. and 4. The role of knowledge in cognition. Two things that may help in learning. Uh, Well, that's just learn about memory research and realize how all thoughts are constructed. I'm going to go a brief overview about cognitive neuroscience. There's a lot of terms to be known about the brain and how it functions um, on a psychological level, how it's connected to the mind, etc., etc., So first I want to go over Cognitive Neuroscience, which is the study of the physiological basis of cognition. Taking on different levels of analysis, approach to the study of the mind, involves research at both behavioral and psychological levels. Not only psychological, but also physiological being number one. That's what Cognitive Neuroscience is about. Let's see how we can see activity in the brain and let's see if we can measure that with stimuli Raman and Kajal's research resulted in the abandonment of the neural net theory in favor of the neuron doctrine which states that the individual cells called neurons transmit signals in the nervous system signals can be recorded from neurons using microelectroids Edgar Adrian, who recorded the first signals from single neurons, determined that action potentials remain the same size as they travel down an axon, and that increasing stimulus intensity increases the rate of nerve firing, not the size, just the rate. The principles of neural representation states that everything that a person experiences is based not on direct contact with stimuli, but on representations in the person's nervous system. Mind-brain-nervous system. Parasymptomatic nervous system. Alright, so okay. Representation by neurons can be explained by considering feature detectors. Neurons that represent to respond to complex stimuli and how neurons are involved in specify or specific specific... uh, Specific coding. I don't even know how to say that. Anyways, there's population coding and sparse coding. The idea uh, the idea of localization of function and perception is supported by the existence of a separate primary receiving area for each sense. By the effects of brain damage on perception, for example, prosopragnesia, by recording from single neurons and from results of brain imaging experiments. So we're able to narrow down what type of brain damage someone's experiencing. <clears throat> by looking at overall activity. Brain imaging measures brain activation by holding blood flow in the brain. It's measuring blood flow in the brain. And this is functional magnetic resoning. Imaging, So, F-M-R-I. That's a bit new because they have an MRI scanner, but this is the F-M-R-I. It is widely used to determine brain activation during cognitive functioning. Brain imaging experiments have measured the response to still pictures to identify areas in the human brain that respond best to faces, places, and bodies. And the response to movies to create a brain map indicating the kinds of stimuli that activate different areas of the brain. The idea of distributed processing is that specific functions are processed by many different areas in the brain. One reason for activation of many areas is the multidimensional nature of experience. This principle is illustrated by the multidimensional nature of seeing a face, remembering and producing and understanding language. Neural networks are groups of neurons or structures that are connectively structural and also that are functionally related. Structural connectivity defines the neural highway system of the brain. It has been measured using track-weighted imaging. Functional connectivity occurs when Different areas have temporarily correlated responses. Measuring resting level fMRI has um, has emerged as one of the ways to measure functional connectivity. But functional connectivity can also be measured by task-related fMRI. A number of different functional networks such as visual auditory salience, executive function, and motor networks have been determined using resting level FMRI. A full description of networks needs to include the dynamic aspects of network activity. The default mode networks is different than other networks because its activity decreases when a person is engaged in a task, but then increases when the brain is at risk. The function of the DMN is still being researched, but it has been suggested that it may play important roles in a number of cognitive processes, which we will discuss later in another podcast. Progress in understanding the physiological or the physiology of cognition has depended on advances in technology. This is demonstrated by considering the connection between the technology and answering three basic questions. The representation question, the organization question, and the communication question. Anyhow, thank you for listening, and I'll try to provide more uh, little mini lectures. Much appreciated. Stand by.